Well, I love Jesus. The reason I'm a Christian is that I love Jesus. The thought of him makes every day better. I love the way that he knew what suffering people needed and was able to help them. He not only healed a paralysed man, he forgave his sins. He brought Nicodemus into the light and gave sight to the blind. He restored life and relationships to the woman at the well and the demon-possessed man at Gennariset. And of course, there are so many other stories of him seeing and meeting a need that inspire us. The teaching of Jesus is also inspiring, challenging, and yet sublime. But what about our needs? What about the grief we feel? The limitations we face through age and health and circumstances? What about being a member of a religion that is not so acceptable in public anymore? How does Jesus see our challenges and how does the help how does he help us? We find answers in the words of the Apostle Paul in the reading today. It's tempting to think of the problems of the world uh, as just, it's, well, it's the world we live in. It's almost glib to say that we live in a broken world. But you don't have to be a Christian to think that life is a series of spiritual battles or perhaps one big spiritual battle. Uh, I've just read a terrifying book called Strange Rites, New Religions for a Godless World. It runs us through dozens of new religions in America, but they'll be coming here soon if they're not already here. Some are an amalgam of what already exists, bits of Buddhism and paganism and New Age and magic and free love and all of this type of thing. And some are based on the idea of looking inward for meaning. Uh, a number are based around the Harry Potter series, which came as a surprise to me, uh, with some, seeing, uh, some people now seeing Severus Snape as a god, and some women referring to themselves as Snape femme. Uh, and it's, it just gets weirder and weirder, I have to say. As, as formal religions decline in the West, intuitional spiritualities emerge. All are desperate attempts to find meaning and deal with a hard and confusing and hostile world. We see in this book where a lot of the alt-right stuff comes from, but also social justice, not as something that we as Christians believe in, but as a religion of its own. And we do feel forces against us, forces from those with power and money, those who control the media, media, leaders who threaten or start wars, people who channel evil spirits. And I'm with Jesus in believing that there are evil spirits. It isn't surprising we feel we are locked in a spiritual battle because we are spiritual beings. Our God knows we face spiritual battles and he does not leave us alone or invite us to make up our own spirituality. In our second passage today, he offers us three things to help us with the battles we face. 
He offers us his power. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We don't have to do this alone. The one who is mightier than any spirit will give us the power we need to fight our battles. Second, we have what Paul calls the full armour of God. If you're not particularly militaristic, do not be put off by this imagery. There are some good things here. And of course, we have many women serving in our armed forces today. So let's not think that armour is a male thing. And thirdly, we have prayer. Prayer isn't just a way of accessing God's mighty power with our prayers and requests, but a point of connection with God that has its own benefits. When we pray, we step out of the here and now into the then and there with God. Uh, We pause, we consider who God is and who he is to us. And that does us so much good, however God chooses to answer our prayers. As we start looking at these three promises here, it's worth remembering the time we live in. The Bible tells us that we live in the end times. We are living between the time when Jesus lived, died and went to be with his Father in heaven and the time when Jesus will return to earth and bring his heavenly rule with him. This means that we live in a time between when Jesus defeated evil and death on the cross and when he will return and make everything new and better. So the devil, death and evil have been defeated. We know the result of the spiritual wars that have been fought since prehistoric times. God has won. Not will win, but has won. It's like turning on the TV to watch a game of sport, but you already heard who wins and you know the final score. Uh, Australia won the men's and the women's rugby league and the cricket overnight, so you can go and watch it on TV, but you know who wins. And it's like that with God. But often it doesn't feel that way, does it? We're still living in a time when bad things happen. We live in a world of war and disease, disappointment and reality television. God could put an end to this now, but he has already, because he's already defeated the cause of it. But he doesn't because he tells us he is patient. He, he's, he is giving all the people of the world time to know him and to trust him so that many more can come to enjoy the beauty and goodness of this life lived with Jesus and ultimately eternal life with him. So he could end it now and perhaps he will. But he tells us that he wants to give everyone the chance to come into his kingdom. So there are still bad and evil things in the world and there are bad and evil people. When you hear the Apostle Paul say, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, what do you think of? Creation. Some abstract idea that a God who creates everything must be pretty powerful. I think it's better to bring to mind God's power that is shown in the resurrection of Jesus from death in his exaltation as our saviour to sit at the right hand of God, interceding for us. 
It is this power that is now available to us. The love of Jesus shown in the cross is how Jesus knows and meets our needs. This is the power Paul mentioned back in chapter 1. And remember, this is the last passage in the book of Ephesians. So he brings together a number of the ideas that have been flowing through the book. Uh, And this is one of them. He talks about that power... Oops. That power, Paul, uh, is the same as the mighty strength God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. This is the power we should have in mind when we face our spiritual challenges. This is the power that each one of us has at our fingertips that we can access through prayer. We can tap into this power for our protection and help each day. Be strong is is an imperative, but it's best understood as a passive. Not make yourself strong, but be strong. Be made strong. Be strengthened. As Paul said back in chapter 3.16, be strengthened with power through God's spirit. He will provide us with what we need. And that includes putting on the full armour of God. Just as he said back in chapter 4.24, that we are to put on the new self, which was created for us so that we can be like God in true righteousness and holiness. In this lifetime, We can be like God. We can be right like God because he will help us do that. If this is already sounding a bit daunting, please don't be put off. We are to let God work through us. We tap into his righteousness and holiness rather than making up our own sense of what is right or doing nothing. Paul develops this imagery Uh, of battle by saying we are to put on God's spiritual armour. As you know, armour is the protection soldiers wear when they go into battle. Today it's helmets and bulletproof jackets and tanks and powerful guns. But 2,000 years ago, uh, no, I think probably this one's a better one. Uh, But 2,000 years ago, it was a belt that held thick leather straps and protected the upper legs, a a breastplate of metal that protected the upper body, a shield, a helmet and a sword. Uh, Pay no attention to cynics who dismiss the idea of us putting on armour as sort of a a, a Christian Don Quixote. Oops, I really don't have these. Here we go. Um, uh, Don Quixote, uh, a heroic but ultimately comic figure, tilting at windmills under the mistaken impression that they are giants. Uh, Our spiritual opponents are real. They're not windmills in our minds. They are real. They're not our creation. I'm sure each one of you knows what it's like to come up against something that you just feel is evil. 
Of course, the metaphors of the armour, the, the, the images of armours are metaphors. And as people of the 21st century in a relatively peaceful country, we may not go in for this sort of imagery. But I don't think the first readers of this letter would have been put off by it. They knew the power of the Roman army, which was armed better than any army the world had seen. This army was unbeatable. It had defeated its opponents for 150 years and will go on winning for at least another 200 years. The imagery worked then as a vivid testimony to God's love and care for us. Paul starts his conclusion to his letter by saying, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Uh, We're not to be strong in our own wisdom and power. We can't defeat the spiritual forces against us if we try to do it alone. We need God and all that he provides. Paul urges us to take our stand against the devil's schemes. Uh, There are the good spiritual forces of God and there are the bad spiritual forces of the devil. God's enemy. Uh, The temptations that you face at work or elsewhere or that loom before you with Christmas coming are the schemes of the devil set to trap you. So prepare now. The tactics of conspiracy theorists are also designed to entrap us, to drag us down. They're they're designed to make us feel uneasy, to distrust anyone. And while we should be careful with organisations and people who have power, not everyone is out to misuse that power. We have people here who have power and influence. And I trust them because the Spirit of God is working through them. And just because people have got power doesn't mean that we should distrust them. Paul says in verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Not all forces, just evil forces. He repeats that we must put on the full armour of God so that when the day of evil comes, we may be able to stand our ground and after we've done everything, to stand. The day of evil is not every day and it's not the day this age ends. It is any day in this age where we face a particular challenge from evil forces. Not every day is hard. We have good times and bad times. But Paul says we need to be prepared for when we do meet evil. We will survive best when we wear God's armour. When we fight with the full armour of God, we will come to the day of judgement and stand vindicated by the God who has helped us for as long as we let him. In our daily lives, we meet all sorts of people. Some are pleasant, some are fun, some are brilliant. Some are inspiring in their modesty. Some are evil and try to control or manipulate us. There was one guy in the law firm I used to work at. Uh, I can't remember if I've mentioned this here before. Uh, Sorry if I have, but it's a story that is etched in my memory. 
Uh, this guy started in the firm that I worked in um, about the same time as me. Uh, I was made a partner in six years and was there for 27 years. He was told he would never be a partner. Partly character, partly competence. And that made him hate people like me who were promoted. And I mean hate. He left my firm and went to work for a bank, which was, just happened to be one of my clients. He spent months going through old files of work that I'd done for his bank to see if he could find a mistake in my work. And he told me he was doing this just to make me feel uncomfortable. It was his way of saying, I'm going to get you. Uh, it wasn't particularly fun, I've got to say, uh, as I waited to see if he could find any mistake that I'd made. But I was confident that whatever happened, that God was with me. Not that I didn't make mistakes, but that God was with me and would help me whatever happened. Uh, one day, this guy thought that he had found a mistake that cost him over a th $100,000. Arranged a time to meet me to tell me that he'd found a problem. And you should have seen his joy, the joy on his face when we met. Uh, he thought that I had made a mistake and now he would get back at me, make me suffer, make me pay, prove that he should have been made a partner, not me. Even though it's nothing to do with me whether he's a partner or not. So what should I do? Should I blame someone else? Should I try and wriggle, wriggle out of the problem? Should I try to get his support to not disclose it? Because he didn't need to disclose it. It could have just laid at the bottom of a filing cabinet and, and that would have been it. Would never have really come up in an audit. But, but no, he wanted to bring it into the light of day to get at me. Uh, I knew none of those options were open to me. If it was my mistake, we would have to pay the loss. But first, I went back through my file. And I found a memo of advice that uh, I'd long forgotten. And if the bank had followed that advice, they would not have had the problem and the loss. Uh, you should have seen this man's disappointment when I showed the memo to him. He could barely control his anger, but there was nothing that he could do. And I'm not telling you this story uh, to prove that I was a good lawyer. The point is that I'd already decided before I found that memo what I was going to do, that I was going to stand by the truth own up to the truth and I was confident that God would help me deal with whatever the consequences of that would be. And this is the first part of the armour we need to put on. Paul tells us we have the belt of truth buckled around our waist. We fight with the truth, not lies or excuses. We fight by being honest, not blaming other people or hiding our mistakes. And we have a breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness here means doing the right thing. The righteousness we put on is God's righteousness. We're to embody his ethical standards. 
We're to act rightly, just as God acts rightly. So when we have problems, we ask God to help us work out the right thing to do, the things that will please him. I'm sure all of you have problems in your families, in work and work, whatever it is. So just don't do it all on your own. Just spend a minute or two in prayer saying, God, please help me. In verse 15, or sorry, not just help me, but show me what you would do. Or, or show me what I should do to live like you. In verse, verse 15, we're to stand with our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. This means we must know the gospel. I, I, I talked about how terrifying this book is, and I really, really I found it very upsetting that people would go down these paths. Uh, but then yesterday afternoon, I picked up another book. The Thrill of Orthodoxy, and you, some of you are going to go, are you joking? <laughs> Orthodoxy? Thrilling? Really? But I can't tell you how it warmed my heart, even just to read the first two chapters, because I went back to the things that I know and I love, that lift me up, that give me assurance, that Jesus loves me, that Jesus died for me, that there is hope with him, that the things that people have been talking about for 2,000 years are true and they will lift us up and they will sustain us. So I'm looking forward to the rest of it. Pretty thrilling. So we must know the gospel. Remember that Jesus was tested by the devil in the wilderness for 40 days and he fought the devil by quoting scripture at him. We may not want to quote scripture at our adversaries, but we definitely can draw on it and channel it as we deal with the temptations we face. And we must be ready. There's no point saying, one day I will get to know God or one day I will read the whole Bible. You don't actually need to know the whole Bible. You know, just start in the Gospels. You'll know enough just by reading there. But we need to be prepared now for when the challenges come to get into a regular pattern of, of Bible reading, perhaps join a, a Bible study in the new year. We need to know God's truth so we can draw on it, to put it on when we need it. And Paul then says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith which you can extinguish, with which you can extinguish all flaming arrows of the evil one. And I have one here. Uh, in fact, when I preached on this before at my old church, uh, I had three of these and a, a young man like Billy was down there and he started throwing them at me and I battered them away with my Bible. <laughs> okay? Get that image in your mind. That's what we're to do. Um, and uh, unfortunately, uh, two of them got pinched at my old church, so I've only got one left. <laughs> And I think this is possibly the best image of the lot. Throughout our lives, the devil will be shooting burning arrows at us, and he knows our weaknesses. He knows the people who mean most to us. He knows what we value most in this life, and the devil attacks these things, attacks these people, attacks the things that we find precious. And he will tempt us 
with arrows of fire hurled at us and the people we love. But if we take up the shield of faith, the faith that God gives us will protect us. And these images are cumulative. The helmet of salvation is an image of safety that comes from knowing that God has already won the most important battle for us. Because Jesus died for us, we know we are saved for an eternal life with God. There's nothing the devil can do to take that away. Nothing. Our faith will protect us because our faith is not something we do. Our faith is a gift from God brought to us by his Holy Spirit and this faith will carry us through this life and into the next. So the Bible is our sword given to us by the Holy Spirit to both defend ourselves against spiritual attack and to fight for the truth. The Bible helps us know how to deal with the problems we face in life. It contains God's wisdom for our lives. When you have got a hard day ahead of you, start it in prayer. Dear God, please help me to get through this day. You know I don't always handle my boss well. Please help me stay calm, to listen, to understand, and to stand up for what is right. Please help me to be patient when things don't go well. Please help me to get over disappointments without turning to hate. There's no challenge we can face any day that is too great for prayer and drawing on God's power. So Paul is saying, this is how each one of us should face each day. We shouldn't do it thinking we can conquer the world on our own. Most successful non-Christians that I've met either have hidden doubts or fool themselves that they are great. But there's a better way. It's to go to work with God by our side, to put on his armour, accept his help, and God will help us and protect us. I love Jesus for many reasons. And one reason is that he cares for us like this. When we sing Jesus loves us, we're pricking up this type of imagery and this is how he loves us. Shall we pray? Our Father God, we thank you that we do not have to face the world alone. We thank you for always being with us, protecting us with your armour. Help us to not take credit ourselves for our successes or blame you for our failures. Please help each one of us to accept your offer of love and protection and live each day for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand and sing.